0: Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them.
1: Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian
0: Gendron. Hey, what's up? I'm Drew Jordan, and we're back, finally getting into a, a nice rhythm with the podcast here. Since I've quit my job, I have more time to podcast, uh, so things are doing uh, a little faster. And uh, had an amazing podcast, and a kind of a special one last time. If you missed last time, uh, it was with Kyle Kazanjan Amory. Who is the CEO and founder of Don't Tell Comedy? You've probably heard about these shows. They're in forty plus cities all over America. Uh, do these pop up comedy shops? And so, um, yeah do you want to Do you want to start
1: with your callback, Brian? Yeah, I mean, Kyle's just been hustling, right? You know, and, and one of the things that I, I really stood out for me is there was the one show that he talked about that he did where they had a stage in this, in this room. So we talked about finding the right venue. There was a stage, but they didn't actually use the stage. They went below the stage. Cause he felt like he wanted to have a more intimate environment where stand up, you know, where the, the comedian was here and the, the audience is just about a foot. I think he said a foot or less above mm-hmm. the audience is the right uh, height for a stage. So I thought that was really interesting. Just as you're looking for a room, and there, all the things that we covered as far as you know, limiting distractions and all that stuff in that episode, and just that was just a solid, solid episode. If you're a producer, check some of that up. That was the one that stood out for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna do a callback to actually something that you
0: said, Brian, because I thought, ah. it was, I thought it was noteworthy. Uh, you know, if you're gonna be a show producer, um, think through the experience through the eyes of the attendant. So. Think about what it takes to, to park, to walk into the venue, to walk into the room, coming like every step of the way. I think you can't go wrong. Uh, and that's a great way to think about how to produce a show that's going to stand out and and be different than a lot of the stand up shows that you might uh, see out there. Really see it through the eyes. Uh, of the person who's attending, and and walk through the entire process of the night, and think that through. Just a great ground rule, I think, if you're going to be a show producer.
1: Wow, actually said something memorable, Drew. That's that might be a first, dude. I like this it. The, ah. <laughs> Brian said something helpful. Look at that. <laughs> ha. All right, so listen, you can get that episode, all the episodes, anywhere you get your podcast, in on YouTube, you can go to our website, breakingdownbits.com. Uh, to find our entire catalog of episodes. Also, you can follow us, tag us on social media at Breaking Down Bits or email us, BreakingDownBits at gmail.com. That episode that we did with Kyle was actually a request by, one, by some of our listeners. They wanted to hear about producing shows, and we delivered. So sometimes, every now and again, we may actually listen if you have requests. Yeah, you can't always get what you want, but last time you did. We do our best. All right, want
0: to bring in our guest? Let's do it. Kimberly Congdon is a comedian, writer, and actress residing in Los Angeles. She's appeared on Comedy Central's Roast Battle, Impractical Jokers, and stand-up showcase appearances across the US. She's been a guest on podcasts like the Joe Rogan Experience, Getting Dug with High, and Kill Tony. She also has her own podcast, Broad Topics, and This Bitch. hey there she is
2: hey i like that intro can i keep that
0: you can have it
2: <laughs> it's good it's more work than i've ever put into anything
0: <laughs> well it's actually all the work that you have actually already done thank you <laughs> it was really funny work <laughs> you did actually all the work uh, i just talked about it um you. no you've done a lot of interesting stuff I, I know we'll dive into you have your hands in a lot of comedy and writing and performing uh, cookie jars that yeah. I'm sure we'd love to kind of hear some of the different experiences and stuff um, that you've, you've got through that through the years. But in the beginning, let's just uh, let's just start with your your comedy journey. How did, how did you start and, and kind of walk us through the process of where you've gotten to how you are uh, today?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, So I grew up in Florida. I went to college at the University of Florida. I was going to school for TV production, minoring in theater, and I was working at this place called The Swamp Restaurant. I was a server (laughs) there and um, I asked, I wanted to make some extra money. So I asked the owner of the restaurant because I was doing TV production, if I could film some stuff for the restaurant um, and put together like little clips to do like promo reels. Mm-hmm. And he really liked those. And then he said that I should get an internship at a production company in the summer in like L.A. And it was something I'd never even like considered. Um, and he said he knew a guy and he got me an internship for the summer. I was super excited. And um, uh, it was uh, at this place called Fremantle Media. They do like American Idol. Let's make a deal. Oh. X Factor, all those shows. Um, And he got me an internship for the summer. So I came here and the only person I knew in L.A. was my cousin who was also, I think at the time, also interning, but for um, one of the big uh, agencies, comedy agencies. Mm -hmm. So when I was staying with her at night during my internship. I'd go to the comedy store and she would go like scout talent for her boss. And like, you know, watch comedians. And she was like friends with a bunch of comics. And I got to meet a bunch of people there. And I was watching comedy a lot. And there was one night where um, her and I popped into the store. And that same day, we had, I had made a joke to her. I think that day in the news, a manhole had eaten this dude in his living room. It was like <laughs> nine years ago. I don't know if you guys heard that story. But I made a joke to my cousin. I just was like sitting with her on the couch. And I had made a comment like... I don't remember even what I said, but I started going into what that dude must have done in his <laughs> life for like, him to just be sitting on his couch and the earth ate him. Like he had to be a <laughs> Like I was like, that guy, you know, I said something like that. Um, and when we popped into the comedy store that night, Dane Cook talked about the thing in the news that day, was like riffing off of it and said a joke so close to what I had said. It was almost like verbatim. My cousin turned to me and she was like, you kind of said that um and she was like you literally said that joke um you made that joke earlier today and it wasn't something that was like stolen it was something that just happened um and it was like the first time i had realized that i was like oh this is so much better and this dude like sells out madison square garden and makes money because before that i never even thought stand-up was like a thing so i signed up so my cousin um they were doing monday night pot walks at the comedy store at that point And um, my cousin was like, you should sign up. You put your name in a thing. Um, They pull out like 30 names. If your name gets picked, you get to go on stage. And they put my name in. I got a spot on there and I did a set. And then that same night after I got off stage, I had met Tony and Redbin and them a few weeks prior just through stand up. And I was like so excited. And I was like, oh, I just went on stage for the first time in the OR. It was so much fun. I like loved it. Willie Hunter was hosting. It was great. And then Tony was like, well, do you want to do my show? I have a show about new comedians that just started. It's called kill Tony. We just started it two weeks ago. And I was wow. like, yeah, for sure. So then he got me up on kill Tony. So I did two sets at the comedy store, my first night ever doing stand standup.
0: <laughs> I went <up> the
2: <laughs> and I went up in the belly room. And then after that, Tony was like, you should come every week. I'm trying to get a couple regulars to do this thing. And I dropped out of college the next day. Like I called my school the next morning. I was like, I didn't go back. I, I suble- subleased my apartment. Um, I subletted my apartment, and um, yeah. And then I kept- just
0: never never returned to
1: Florida. <laughs> no. Did, did you dunk that potluck? Did you get it on the first time? Because I know that that famous like everybody has to wait outside, and you know they sign up, and then you know every week they yes. show up. You dunked it on the first one.
2: Yeah, and then I didn't get it for like. months after that so i was really happy that i did that time Uh because um you know it probably was a little more convincing
1: destiny and then you hit like one of the first kill tony episodes ever is what you're saying Mm -hmm. and then did a couple after that
2: and it was the same day tony told me it was the same day that he decided that he wanted to do he was having people come at the end that he knew but it was the day that he decided he wanted like two regular women he was like because i want it to be women that are doing like building a setup and um it was the same day that i had gone there to do yeah it was just great timing
1: so you were writing at that time then you were writing a minute at a time was was that the format back then yeah that's sort of
2: how i still write jokes
0: now
1: to be honest
2: because it's the only way i really know how to write jokes
0: Oh, okay. We'll get into your writing strategy in a little bit. So, what happened? So, Kill Tony obviously um, is uh, such a massive thing now, and to be on the front end of that like that, and and have a friend and a partner like like Tony uh, to kind of give you opportunities and put you in front there so you could shine. What? You've done so much more on top of that. Like how do you get into impractical jokers? You're writing for television. You you've been you've acted in film and TV and movies like how did how did uh <laughs> Kill Tony lead to all that stuff?
2: Um okay, so Kill Tony was a huge stepping stone. You know, obviously I did the work to be able to do it, but um, it introduced me to a lot of people. Like uh, Tony, his, the the premise for his show was, you know, Tony and Red Band, and then it was usually like two other comedians that were like pretty well known, um, mm-hmm. and then it, and it was a bunch of new comedians. So every because I was a regular on the show, I got to do a set in front of like a bigger, well-known comedian every single week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after the shows we'd hang out, we'd have a drink, I'd get to meet them. And so through Kill Tony, I met, um, I think Bobby, Bobby Lee was the first person to ever take me on the road from nice. one of my sets from doing well on one of my sets on Kill Tony. Um, wow. I met Roxy May through there, Doug Benson. Um, I mean, there's gonna be so many people I'm forgetting that Sarah Silverman, Um, So many, so many people Almost every comedian I I know I met through there And sort of uh, keeping the connections Ralphie Mae brought me on the road a lot Um, And um, Yeah, that was the beginning of it And then I would hang out at the comedy store a lot And they, around that same time They introduced Roast Battle Mm. And uh, I remember There was uh, they, had, they had done two roast battles. They had tried to, I guess there was two comedians that wanted to fist fight in the parking lot. And, <laughs> and, uh, Brian Moses and Rel were like, why don't you guys bring it up to the belly room? We have a show right now and just talk shit in front of each other on the show. And they did it. And, <laughs> did and then the next time they had two other comedians and then they were like, we want two women. So they had me and another comedian, Sarah Mostajabi. Um, who just passed away? RIP. That we were, uh, we were the first woman to ever roast battle against each other. And once I did that, I was like hooked, like into like I, I really, I love stand up. But once I did roasting, I was like really into it. Like I, I, I think it's just so fucking fun. Um, so I started roast battling a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and at that point. This was before they had 10 million different roach, roast shows in every state. This is when there was, like, nobody was roasting. They had the Comedy Central roast once a year, and that was all you saw for roasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, they made it, like, a huge deal in L.A. They had a list of the top 150 roasters, and, and then it was L.A. versus New York, and it became this huge thing. And that's where I met Sal Volcano. Mm-hmm. is, uh, I did a roast mm-hmm. battle in New York and he would happen to be just hanging out probably with Chris DiStefano. Um, mm-hmm. and he had came by the stand and judged my roast battle. And, uh... yeah, and because I was roast battle, I am at South through that. And then after roast battle, I just went up to him and I was like, I love your show. I want to be a writer. I don't want to annoy you now, but if you ever are having packets submitted, please just remember me. Like, that's it. And he, he said yes. And then I was like, ooh, I'm embarrassing. And I went home and had anxiety about that for like
0: <laughs>
2: a month, two months. And literally one year later, he, I had not spoken to him since that night. I met him one time. Um, he had up the guy that I was dating at the time, Lewis, And he was like, hey, your girlfriend Kim asked me a year ago about a packet. And we're doing that now. So I wanted to give her a packet and I submitted a packet and I got the job.
0: Yeah. nice so this is definitely a lesson for for comics networking so important mm-hmm. asking it and don't be annoying but asking for opportunities is not a not a bad thing you, you're not going to get something if you don't let someone know that you're interested
2: yeah totally and I honestly spent I I think that you know things have gone pretty well for me but I have, like shudder at all the opportun- opportunities I missed because I spent years being like, don't be annoying. Don't bother anyone. Stay out of the way. But mm-hmm. I will, you know, anytime I did talk to Ralphie or I go up to Bobby or talk to them after the show, I was ridden with anxiety, probably very awkward. I'm a little bit awkward. It's not easy. At tr- for me, the socializing is the hardest part in stand up. It is the most yeah. di- difficult, difficult part, the networking. Um, so I know that there are a lot of people out there that struggle with that, but you really just have to go like, say, hi, be cool. Have a conversation.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. the whole, the whole up, that you're putting yourself out of your comfort zone, just kind of use those same tools and put yourself out there and ask, uh, like I'm, we're a booker for the show here in Houston, the riot. And, you know, just, uh, there's so many people that ask people are like, why don't you put me on your show? You're like, you're not even in the group of people who ask. That's why. Right. So you have to make the ask. And then the other thing you were doing, Kim, uh, was you are put you're you were trying these different things. You are putting yourself out there on the Kill Tony show. You were doing Roast Battle. And so it's just a call out to other comics. Like, get involved in those other shows. Don't worry about just getting on showcases and traditional mm-hmm. headliner shows. Try the Roast Battles. Try the other things. You never know if you might fall in love with it like you did with Roast. And you never mo- know who might be judging or might see it.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of similar
0: a- to – oh, sorry.
2: Right, go ahead.
0: Oh, kind of similar to Sarah Tiana. She just, she kind of like found that road and it became a real opportunity and income source. And now she, you know, she just kind of like, like you just really found a home there and found success. And uh, yeah, she did the podcast and um, talked all about roast jokes and me and Brian did a roast. We won't talk about who won and who lost. I won. But
2: uh, well, I just, I couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm not bitter about it, Um, but it's, yeah, it's roasts are not really my thing, but I've really enjoyed the, I love the writing process of it because it takes you out of your regular writing routine and puts you in a different headspace. And so while I am not the best at doing them, I really enjoy the, the homework.
2: Yeah, they're super fun. I like it. It's like you said, I think it's more fun for me to sit down and write a roast joke than it is to write like a joke. It's very weird if it's like not going to be in my set for a long time or be super helpful to my career. I will write the best joke. Like I, can write for other people. I can write for other people. So my friend can call me and she goes, oh, I'm having trouble with this joke. And I will write a 10 minute bit on the spot for her. And then I'll look at my own set and I'm like, I see nothing. So yeah. it's like a very weird Process sometimes, but it is true that like getting into other things. Even even now, I'm uh, in the last few months, I've gotten into acting. Um, I've done like little things here and there, but I've really like buckled down and, and started doing like a lot of auditions and trying to get into stuff. And um just you know, and now I judge a roast battle sometimes. I was judging the other day, and Jason Reitman came in, and then he judged. And now, now I'm here and I'm a comedian who somehow got into roasting, but now I want to be an actor and I'm judging with a director. So it's like, it's all connected. A lot of people think that, It's so funny because a lot of people will see me and they'll just think like, oh, like you're hot, like you get things because guys think you're hot. And I'm like, nobody talked to me for nine years. I mean, people talk to me, but like, you know, I would do a set here for five hundred dollars and then I wouldn't do work again for six, seven months. It wasn't like that easy. I really even even when I'm telling you, oh, this guy brought me on the road and this guy brought me on the road. It'd be a couple of times. But that, you know, a couple times on the road pays half a month of rent in LA. And so, you know, it's like, there was a lot more grinding in between all of the really great things that happened. I just only post the great things. I don't post myself crying to my mom (laughs) on Instagram for years or, you know, sleeping in a living room floor on a couch for, you know, a year and a half. I don't post those things on my social media. So people don't see the grind in between, but it is so much work even now, like, I, I'm I if I don't constantly work, I won't pay my rent. If I'm not constantly grinding, it's even when you level up and you're getting a different kind of work, everything's still you gotta keep going. You gotta keep it moving or it stops. Then you mm-hmm. don't
0: <laughs> optimistic take from Kim Cogden. Uh you, thanks for you, sharing.
2: You <laughs> I don't know. It never
0: you can, you can
1: cry here. This is the same yeah. place. Yeah. Like therapy. Uh, But it's a good you're up a good point, too, that uh, because because I, you know, granted, we're in Houston, Texas, and there's no industry here. But I got discovered in our our room on stage because somebody liked my look or like my character or whatever it is, and they thought I'd be good fit for their movie role and -hmm. the movie's trash. Don't go see it. I've only been in Mm -hmm. one, but, uh, but nonetheless, you're like, you're in LA or if you're in New York or if you're in markets where there is industry, Atlanta, whatever it is, you never know who's going to be out there. You never know who, who may pick you up for other types of work and projects or appreciate your writing, you know, who who knows, but keep putting yourself out there. Sometimes I'm in
2: small towns and people are like, Oh yeah, my cousin does, He's a he's a photographer out in LA and I'll be like, oh, cool. And then I'll look and it's like a huge photographer. And I'm like,
0: oh, <laughs> you know? no one's from LA. I mean, people are <laughs> people true. go there. It's a pilgrimage.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. People go to LA, but they're from other places. So everyone has connections everywhere.
1: That's actually another good call out too. Interact with your after the show as much as possible. Make sure you go out and interact with the people at the show. You never know what they might have. They could advance your career and you might not even know it
2: yeah for me there is a very fine line though it's like you have to be like like you have to be genuinely sort of interested in the conversation and sometimes people talk to me and like i can tell they're just want to know what i'm doing And it sort of, I don't know if it's for everyone, but for me, I'm like, this is like turning into like weasel behavior. I'm like, seem interested, like, genuinely hang out, make a friendship. Because if you're a cool person and you're going to be working in the industry, people don't really give a fuck what you're doing. Like, they don't, they give a fuck, like, if you're funny and if you're cool to work with. And that's it. Like, nobody gives a fuck about your like credits or what, you know, people do, I guess, for selling tickets. But, Um, when it comes to working with people, they just want to work with people that they like to be around because when you're on set or when you're filming or when you're doing a weekly show with someone, you want to be happy when you see them.
0: Yeah. You spend a lot of, there's a lot of downtime, uh, in those kind of industries and you want, you don't want to be with someone who drives you absolutely insane.
2: What I'm saying is be a fun hang. Yeah. Be a fun hang. Just, While
0: you're writing jokes, also work on a personality. Um, yeah. work. <laughs>
2: or be like, you know, just don't be annoying at minimum. I think at the yeah. minimum is don't be annoying to be a good hang. <laughs>
0: yeah, thing? it is tough, though. I have a lot of I'm, I'm a terrible networker, which is something I'm trying to get better at. I forever I feel like I just came from such a different background from most comics and have such a different life than most comics. That I I, for the first couple years of comedy, I didn't have anything in common to say to these people, you know, and I was just like, hey, I'm just going to stand here and try to inject something every now and again. And then like now as time goes on, I'm a little better at it, but it's definitely the most anxiety filled part of comedy for me is like trying to like. Cause I just like, if I vibe with someone and we're in like, I'm down, like I'll, I will have the best fun time ever. But if I feel like I'm not really connecting, I just like get it all in my head and feel awkward about me even being there. You know?
2: Yeah. I think a lot of people, of people feel like that and then they talk to each other and then it's two people overthinking it. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's so funny. People never talk about the social anxiety aspect of being a comedian, which is like huge. I see it all the time. And, um, yeah to be honest it's very difficult to hold a conversation sometimes yeah. but, um, the,
1: the, the, the one thing we, forget, from that. we all have a common connection we all do stand-up and if nothing else default to just talking about stand-up yeah, oh, it's simple
2: i'm like the kind of person i'm super weird in a conversation someone will be having like a nice conversation and they'll be talking about like plants or like how to keep their plants alive or something like that and i'll just be like isn't it weird that we're all going to be dead one day? Never <laughs> oh, Life of the
0: party. That,
2: that interesting. I don't. I, I see plants all the time. They're alive. Cool. So are we <laughs> and we're gonna die. Isn't that crazier? Isn't Isn't it crazier that we're dying? You're and you care about your plants dying. I
1: think that's one of the tricks to stand up. I mean, we you know, there's we all we all recognize our own mortality, and that's way more interesting than whatever you're blabbing about. Um, totally. Small talk killer over here. Just the, let's go deep.
0: Death, no, mortality. Don't
2: bring the small talk over here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. So that, so Sal and that connection and everything kind of led to some of the TV credits and the writing. And if you had to pick like now, I know you said you're pretty excited and, and kind of hot on the acting stuff right now, because it's a little newer and, and you're, and you're really getting in there. What's your favorite thing right now to do though? Is it acting, writing, or performing comedy? Mm,
2: it would, I mean, if you're talking passion and not financially, <laughs> <laughs> I would go, uh, definitely stand-up's Number one, it's my favorite thing. It's just, it, it, you go on stage people laugh at the words that come out of your mouth and then you go and hang out with your friends. It's the coolest thing I've ever done. And I get shocked every day that I'm doing it. I feel like a, I feel like a literal clown when I think about it. I'm like, this is so dumb. I can't believe it. I feel like a, I like a dumb genius and I'm like, I can't believe this plan worked. <laughs> you know I, mean? well, I'm like, I can't, I, I feel like nobody's caught on yet. Yeah. Like, they still think this is real. Um, But stand-up's my favorite. Obviously, I like the money from writing the best. Um, Sure. uh, But I'm loving, loving acting lately. Like, I've already – I've canceled, like, a couple things just for auditions, which is very telling for me when it comes to stand-up. But I don't know. We'll see. I like it right now. I also like discovering something I didn't think I was good at and being good at it because I'm so bad at other things. I mean, people are like, you're so good at stand-up. I'm like, you should see me, like – talk about anything else you you would be like this girl should this girl knows nothing (laughs) i'm like thank god there is stand up and being funny because i can be considered a genius somewhere (laughs) don't ask me about history don't ask me any math questions don't ask me about science i have no idea how anything exists why why anything's happening but (laughs) this is like my one point so i just like being good at something and then i chase after that
0: it's yeah. Like, I think you got to find your thing and, and, and fully commit. That's the thing. I think that's one of the things about, um, artistic endeavors is you have to fully commit. You can't half-ass, uh, you know, a, a career in, in this kind of thing because someone else is always working harder than you and is going to get those opportunities. If you're lazy about it and not getting out to the mics or not working like someone there's hungry people out there who are going to pass you by.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: Um, I guess we can, we can make a quick transition and talk uh, a little bit about writing. Um, we kind of started off with like a, the kind of broad question you can answer it any way you'd like open-ended. Uh, but how does Kim Congdon write comedy?
2: Oh God. I mean, as soon as I heard this was going to be a question, I was like, they're going to hate my answer. I just don't really have an answer. I just, uh, well, I guess a lot of it comes from my podcast now that I'm thinking about it. I
1: was going to ask that. Yeah.
2: Um, because sometimes when I can't think of a bit, I'll go through my podcast and I'll just play it on the fastest speed. And I watch when my co-host laughs and then I click <laughs> what did I say? Because if <laughs> I can make another comedian laugh out loud, I can make a regular person laugh. And that's been a huge help.
1: That's really smart. I mean, cause so many comics have podcasts and most of them, nobody's fucking listening to, but at least you can go back and be like, where did I make my co-host laugh? And where, and that could be a bit, I think that's, yeah. that's. That's really good advice. Yeah.
0: I think some people have said like they, they anytime they're hanging out with their friends and they make their friends laugh, they'll make a little note because maybe that's a something to explore later, which must be really annoying for the friends they're trying to hang out with. But um, I I, yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good strategy. I think every, everyone does it differently.
2: Yeah. That one works too. Um, uh, stuff that I tweet. If a tweet does good, I'll be like, maybe that'll work on stage. Um, Sometimes I'll just try to remember the general things. That, like that I do a lot of like um, asking people things. So like something will annoy me and I'll ask like five or six friends, does this happen to you? Uh, and if yeah. it happens to all of them, I'm like, it must happen to everyone. Cause they're, I think they're, I think it goes back to the social anxiety thing where people are a lot more alike than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And, and you see it when, when you see a, um you know the meme of the little boy standing and it's like the little tiny alien standing at the doorway and it's like you at your mom's room at 3 a.m and it goes I threw up it's like we all at <laughs> mom's doorway and fucking or whatever and it's like it's just uh finding those things I think that uh comedians are the ones that will call out that we're all doing it yeah it's the same way that if someone's talking about a plant, I go, oh, we're all gonna die. It's like everyone secretly thinks that, but only a, like a comedian would say it out loud. It makes so much sense that I would be like, oh yeah, that was weird, sorry. I don't know, we have weird personalities. I don't know how to describe it. Comedians are weird, we're weird people.
1: That's a, the phone a friend things come up a few times. I think that's really smart because a lot of, uh, I don't know if was Greg Warren and, and maybe a few other people have talked about, like just write down the things that annoy you throughout the day. Uh, mm-hmm. Caparulo I think certainly said that And right. then phone a friend and be like do these also Annoy you and then you've, you've kind of done the the Relatability check or just Bring it to a mic that doesn't matter an open mic Whatever it is but um things that Annoy you yeah those, that's often the source Of good material mm-hmm.
0: On the nerdy side are you do you write Anything down do you have a spreadsheet Are you making uh, Lists of things or is it all just live In your head
2: uh, Wait can you ask that again sorry
0: Oh, just when it comes to like your material, are you, are you, do you have a notebook where you like physically write it on paper or do you keep like a spreadsheet? How do you collect your ideas?
2: I remember I saw Woody Allen document documentary like years ago and it made me feel so much better because they went, I know he's like a sicko and stuff, but they went through artist wise. They went through his, they were like, where do you keep your notes? And he opened this drawer and he had just had like loose papers everywhere <laughs> and i kind of have like i have like a a huge like this thing in here right next to me let me see if i can show you guys i have a
1: and a solved cube. solved rubik's cube too very good
2: oh yeah i just did that i was oh yeah see. i had to see if i remembered but yeah i have a um, a huge thing in here ah. and you can see it has like old notes And this is
0: turning into an episode of MTV Cribs now. And
2: pictures and art, (laughs) and uh, like these are all filled with jokes. I have like tons of these. And so, and and the, the crazy thing is, they're mostly like, I think they're like the same thing. I don't have like 15 hours of comedy. It's a lot of <laughs> the same words written in different fonts. <laughs> you know. uh,
0: in the same 15 minutes written down in <laughs> 2,500 places. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was probably, you know, a couple hours, maybe. I don't know, but I'm. it's psychotic. And that's just one of them. I have like uh, behind me 20 more notebooks I'm looking at. They just are, I just write things down and, they're not funny a lot, and some of them are. It's a lot, it's a game of numbers, truly. Comedy, just like everything else. Just like auditions, I've noticed I've, every time I do an audition and I, I kind of look at it, them like getting them out of the way. I'm like, okay, let's do another one. Cause I want to get as many in as I can. Cause I'm like, one of them will work, but I yeah. need to get in like a hundred.
0: I think we forget that because, I mean, I've been in comedy now for almost five years, and Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you start to get a little better. You start to finally start finding a little momentum, and then um, you can start to feel a little uh, invincible and you write jokes and you're like, I'm taking these straight to the show cause I'm a good writer now. And you forget that like nine tenths of the crap that you write is complete and utter garbage. And you, mm-hmm. you, no matter what point or stage you're at, you have to like scrap most of it and just keep the good stuff.
2: I've, I've reached a point where like, sometimes I love a bomb Cause I'm like, Thank <laughs> God. I need to be brought down. Sometimes I yeah. get a little, like I start, I get in my set and like, I know it crushes. So I keep doing it. And then I'll go like, let me try this one that I just wrote today. And they won't laugh. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. Got to keep working. You're not Chappelle. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like a, it's like a, yeah, it'll bring you down to earth. A bad joke.
1: Yeah. It'll, it'll force you to work. Yeah. Work on those sure. digouts. Digouts Dig yeah. outs are important too. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> it's true.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes I'm. I, I totally agree. I think sometimes nothing motivates you like a bad set to go. Oh man, I really got to dig into this. I haven't been prioritizing some uh, my ideas and writing and and all the homework that goes with it, and you get a little bit lazy, and the the world puts you on your ass for it.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm like I'm, constantly. I constantly feel guilty about being too lazy. So.
0: It's a weird being a full time comic or is just got such a strange profession to be. And it's got to like, you know, you hear all the jokes about it, you know, waking up at like noon and working for an hour a day. But there's like I think for new comics, it's while some people when you get to that that place. It's a little different, but there's a lot of behind the scenes work. Your, your brain is constantly running, constantly working, constantly kind of like surveying and taking in data. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Also, if you're a comedian, like you're probably not, I don't think, I think probably most comedians, like 90% of comedians are not like two parent households. Everything was gravy growing up. They're also people that are like constantly working on themselves. And like, it takes a lot of mental energy to do stand up comedy it takes a lot of rejection a lot of like a lot of the opposite of what comedians are looking for when they get into comedy so um, that is a huge toll on your mental health um if you don't realize that it takes a lot of work for a lot of years first i remember getting into an argument with someone when i started comedy because i told them i would be famous in 3 years and i was oh, like yeah. I will like i ha- i was like i'm the funniest i'm going to be famous in 3 years and i'm going to be going on 10 or 11 years now i think And, you know, I'm just starting to get things in the last few years. And so it's like when you first get into it, if you really believe in yourself, you're like, this is going to go quick. And that realization that's like they it's true, you know, everybody that made it overnight, Tiffany Haddish and Kevin Hart and all these people, they were doing the same things we were doing. They were for years at open mics, not getting laughed at. But like I said, you don't see those things.
1: You have to humbly believe in yourself. You still yeah. you have to maintain that belief in yourself otherwise you won't keep going mm-hmm. and uh but you, but you have to stay humble. Yep. Yeah. And patient.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and somehow consistent through it all. Throughout I think that's one if there's one skill that I've learned through stand-up comedy it truly is how to not let an a complete and utter rejection destroy my desire to continue doing it because I can't. This, I, I mean, Brian. Me and Brian worked together at the Riot, and he's seen like some of the hardest, hottest bombs I've ever delivered. And um, thinking back
1: at am like, how did I keep doing comedy after that? <laughs> like, how, what inside of me made me doing it? Can I share the one time he dressed up like Mitch Hedberg? And nobody, <laughs> nobody knew who he was. It was Halloween, so it was it was appropriate. But nobody knew Mitch Hedberg, and, and he and he just went. <laughs> Look,
2: and they didn't he still in L.A what's that i would have killed in la
0: yeah yeah we're, we're <laughs> they, thought I was, they thought yeah. i was kurt cobain or something from nirvana
2: <laughs> uh, you should address dressed as ron white
0: <laughs> yeah right i should have dressed as someone from tv that they knew but yeah it was a terrible bomb everyone was just confused the entire set and then i decided to end with because it was halloween a special show i ended with some mitch hedberg jokes which no one knew and they're strange and even mitch bombed with them sometimes and here it was it was brutal it was absolutely brutal <laughs> but uh you know you just got to wake up the next morning and keep I, I was i somehow i don't know how that did not make me quit
2: i've had bombs um, where i turn on the audience and i start blaming uh, them
0: yeah and i'm like i do that backstage <laughs>
2: I go, you guys actually fucking suck i don't care and, and they just look at me and they go look at me stare at me now i'm fighting with 40 strangers uh yeah
0: do you have any good strategies for something that me and Brian have talked about a lot is, you know, sometimes you're, you don't always have a good crowd. Do you have any on stage strategies to dig yourself out of a weird crowd setting like that?
2: This is a fucked up answer. This is a (laughs) fucked up answer. You have to work hard and long enough to have an undeniable set that you can pull out at any time. Hmm. I have a set. I have at least a five minutes I can get me through the end of a set and get off stage no. Mm, gotcha. This go works. Back to the gold. This works anywhere. I don't care if it's been on TV. I don't care if it's been filmed. I need to get the fuck out. If it's so, if it's and, and rarely do I, you know, I don't really bomb. Like I don't bomb bomb where it's like dead silent. But if I, there's been a couple sets where I'm like, this is horrible. And yeah, I just mm-hmm. use the jokes that I know work, and then I leave. Or I try to. Or I try. Or I take the challenge. Sometimes you're just gonna not care about bombing. Because it happens. And so sometimes I've got to embrace it and be like, cool, this is a bomb. This is an opportunity for me to see if I could dig myself out of a hole. And I couldn't tell you how to do that. Or, you know, sometimes I start roasting people and it works. Sometimes I start roasting people and I'm already bombing. So the crowd actually gets more offended. (laughs) So it's like, I can't, I don't, I don't know if I had the, if I had the sauce, I would be, too big for all of the to be podcasting on a computer.
0: I <laughs> should. You'd never be on this podcast forever. Yeah,
2: you wouldn't have gotten my. I wouldn't have gotten your message.
0: <laughs> your a- your <laughs> agent would never would have blocked this off a long time ago.
2: My agent's not real. It's me.
0: <laughs>
2: Another email.
0: <laughs> what about um, when it comes to more kind of on the writing stuff before you do. Um, like a longer set Uh, how do you organize your set list do you play it loose do you stick to the set list what's kind of your when it comes to building like maybe a you know a longer set do you have any strategies or ways that you kind of organize things
2: um right now i organize well i'm working on putting together a set for a special and the Uh way i'm doing it right now is i i who knows if this is going to work. but I'm going, I am organizing it by like, okay, this is like my family stuff. This is like the sexual stuff. This is the stuff that's like general. Everyone has in common stuff that is just like almost like one liner off the wall, random things. And I am sort of trying to, um, make it so I split the sexual stuff up and there's not a lot of it in a row because I feel like as a woman, you have to write a different set too. It's like I have to do it to where when I put it out, people aren't like, there's so much sex. I have to like sneak it in in between other jokes. Um Nicky
0: Glazer just gets roasted for that just constantly.
2: It's so it's so obnoxious. Um, but I'm like, I'm not married, I don't have kids. And I do stand up comedy. So I'm not going to talk about comedy. I'm not going to, I mean, I, you know, and I talk about being single and that is having sex and like hooking mm-hmm. up with people and dating and like all of that. So it's like, it's very weird. Um,
0: yeah. But uh, I don't remember. Got to write what you know. It's yeah.
1: <laughs> And it's so, the most but, relatable thing. Even people who are married were at one time single. So, you know, so everybody in the audience can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Brad still has sex sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hey, I'm married. So, <laughs> so that's over, but yeah. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. So I, um, I don't know. I'm just, I try out one way. If it doesn't work that way, I try it out a different way. It's a lot of that's an interesting.
0: That is an interesting strategy though. Cause I think that the, the most obvious thing would be or at least the most obvious thing to me is to group topics like topics together and then, and then exhaust the topic and move on to the next topic. But that's an interesting strategy. And, and I wonder, um, yeah, that's a, to, to mix well, I up some
2: them together. And then I sprinkle this, like I'll have like a big part of, you know, I think that a big part of my, my act is like dirty jokes. I've also like sort of leaned towards that. I really like, Dirty comedy. I like dirty comics. I love working with like Big J and the Mm -hmm. Legion of Skanks guys. And I love like the, you know, the whole fight for freedom of speech and comedy and and fighting cancel culture and that whole thing. Um, I am very into that. Like 10 people just were like, we're not going to her show anymore. (laughs) 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 She's into the me too thing. Um, (laughs) But uh, I, uh, so I really like to uh, toe the line on offensive jokes
1: and
2: and stuff like that. So hope uh, hope the riot likes offensive comedy because I'm yeah. coming through with some bangers.
1: We're uh, so our, our philosophy with that, and we do we have we have shows that are specific. You know, dirty comedy. We had a show called Sick Fucks uh, a couple weeks ago that awesome. got picked up by the local media, <laughs> uh, the uh, Houston Press. Nice. Uh, had, they they said their headline was ruds that's our venue to host another transphobic dumpster fire that was
2: (laughs) that sounds like a good show i mean yeah (laughs)
1: hey hey fuck them it's sold out and uh we lean into it we're like hey this is this is uh this is highly recommended by the houston press we tagged them in all social media i paraphrased the article in a few places made it look favorable because use sarcasm like fuck you guys we that's our language we speak sarcasm i I contacted the editor she's like no we're not going to retract it i'm like all right fine we're going to run with it. So anyway, all that to say, Kim, we, we, uh, we do love dirty, dirty comedy, our philosophy with it. If you're professional, uh, as long as you're like a professional, you know, you carry yourself professionally, you can speak about whatever you want. And that's truly how we believe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm in, I'm down for that.
0: It's also inspired a new show called Rudd's Transphobic Trash Fire uh, every Sunday at, no, we're not.
2: Oh, man. I mean, but are you brave enough to write no trannies allowed on your flyer?
0: (laughs) No, it's it's already in a neon sign over the door, so we don't have to worry about that.
2: For the Um, bit. Um, Commit to the bit. Yeah, people really do hate words. (laughs) It's wild. It's really crazy
0: it's a it's a weird time and i think it i think that i my material i feel like i like edgy stuff but i don't go very far into that i like to kind of just like dip my toe into it and have fun with it um but even me i feel like i felt pressure to be like oh gosh is is someone going to misinterpret this joke as something i didn't mean it to be and they're gonna are they gonna like i had a joke get banned on TikTok that's not even it's not
1: even a dirty joke i mean it's like you're talking about having sex with minors, not minors. But I was. That, it, is, teens, that teens, is not teens, the way that teens. I wrote the joke. <laughs> <All
0: right>. um, <laughs> no, the joke basically was just like my dating strategy is like the winter in Houston, 30s, 20s. And every now and again, dip into the teens. And it was just that's, like, that's mean, it's a weather, it's a weather joke. It's not even like.
2: Also very funny. You could be fucking 19 year olds. It's
0: true. true. 18 is legal.
2: Gross, but it's not illegal. Well, then, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: no one said it was smart. You're almost yeah. 40. You're almost 40, Drew. Uh, but no, the the next line of it is it's the you know, oh yeah, you know, I can never
0: be a meteorologist. You know, I'd be like, grab a jacket. It's barely legal out there. Barely so, legal. So you that know, puts it into the 18, 19 category. I like yeah. it.
2: I think it's a funny joke. It's
0: a great joke. And it's someone great. did not like it, and it got deleted on tiktok because someone was offended and i was just like i feel like my stuff's not that edgy and if even i'm feeling the pushback i can't imagine what the comics who really do try to toe that line further are feeling right now because it's got to be crazy
2: i've definitely been told that i've lost things because of the stuff i have online and on podcasts like big things so it's disappointing but it's also like, if I booked those things, they wouldn't have want me, wanted me, if it, I would have booked it and they would have found that stuff anyways. And I don't really want to do comedy for people that don't believe in comedy.
0: Yeah. Like, like I don't want
2: to do my art anyways. Yeah. I don't, it's like, then fine, go do your, your funny thing. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. And every yeah. time they put something out, every time, like a big company Like, you know, does that push back or cancel something they put the the content they put out is not funny. And I'm like, you can see that you you can see that you need comedy and you're not allowing it to happen. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I think that I mean that maybe that's all the more reason to for comics to work hard to create our own things, maybe create our own platforms. You know, Skankfest is a great example of that, you know, creating a community and a tour and whatever for people who enjoy that stuff. And it seems to be super well attended. The one here, the South one in Houston looked completely sold out and everyone had a blast. And so there's there's a place for that. And sometimes maybe we have to build it ourselves. Totally,
2: yeah. I think Skankfest was fun. I don't remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, and not because of the head trauma because you did box.
2: I also um, did have a concussion when I was at Skankfest. Oh no! Yeah, I shouldn't have. I definitely shouldn't have fought or done. Yeah. The drugs that I did.
0: <laughs> I was like, should
2: I say this? Ah, oh, fuck it. Um, but yeah, you know, living life.
0: Yeah. What about moments before you go on stage when you're performing? Mm-hmm. Do you have any last minute mantras or prep or something that you like to do in the moments leading up to going on stage that gets your head right? Not at all. I just, just drugs.
2: <laughs> I like to be left alone before I go on stage. I don't like like yeah. um, being talked to a lot because I am trying to like... Mm. You know, I, do, I did say that I try, I try different sets. So I'm trying to remember the new thing that I'm doing. And I'm such a stoner that I'm like, I need to focus for 15 minutes. I'm like, after I'll talk, I'll drink, I'll hang. But before I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't, I drink like a bunch of water. I'm the healthiest I ever am. <laughs> 20 minutes performing. <laughs> <laughs> so I do all that stuff right before. and I, And then I sort of just, sometimes I listen to my set. Mm. A voice memo of my set to remember um, the stuff I want to work on, or
0: that's, that's, that's so. Help, I think that's so helpful. Yeah, just like hearing yourself tell the joke again and hearing it with fresh ears. I've always I've been shocked at the things that I've picked up and edited and changed, or you know, from just listening back. It's such such a dumb, simple thing that we as comics probably don't do enough.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's very helpful. I love it.
1: It's also a good call out too. if you're a newer comic or, or any comic at any level and you're you're in the green room, like just leave the headliner alone until after they're set. And let's talk to you. You can be in there, say hi, but don't like try to start up a new conversation about some bullshit. If they're about to go on stage, say, in 15 minutes. I think that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And one thing I learned, too, for younger comics is like give the headliner the best chair in the green room.
1: Yeah. Like obviously.
2: There's like little things that you just learn throughout stand up that you don't know sometimes or, you know, don't mm-hmm. bring friends unless you're very close friends with the headliner. But, you know, don't bring your own friends into the green room. The headliner is on to meet new people in the green room. It's not what it's meant for. Hmm. I think a lot of the times is something that happens. And I'm just saying, I'm not even talking about me. Like, don't bring anyone in my green room. I'm like, I remember when I was younger being like, this is my friend and this is my friend. And it's like, this is not your green (laughs) room.
0: This is not a party for you. Yeah. And I feel like every comic uh, experience is different. There's some comics that are really fun to hang out with, but then in that green room, in that prep space, they become very serious and and they turn off all the hospitality and it's business time
2: well yeah it's it's work it's your money and you mm-hmm. want to make sure you have a good set because you want to go back to that club yeah and, and you want to you know do the thing right the the whole thing is fun and partying and hanging out so at least for right before your set you need to work on focusing
1: and and get fan do you have any strategies uh to get fans during your show uh, we've seen a lot of interesting things lately um how, how are you doing anything to get attract people attracted to your podcasts or anything like that
2: mm, no <laughs> <laughs>
1: do you mention it <laughs> at least mention you have it no mm-hmm. just let them let them find it when they do
2: yeah i go so, yeah. if you feel like podcasts if i no, i i should i should have something um probably be super helpful i do and like i said it's like pushing myself you know in the beginning of the podcasting pushing myself is something that i'm constantly working at and um self-promotion which for me feels very cringy a lot like anti-social the anti-social issue so sometimes i you know i'm in that headspace where i have to convince myself every day that i deserve i get the things that i deserve. Cause you know, I'm always like, why would anyone give a fuck about a podcast? Because I don't listen to podcasts. So I'm like, why am I pushing this weird me talking? It doesn't make sense. I feel like I get like, um, what's that syndrome?
0: Imposter where- syndrome Imposter or something syndrome.
2: like, why would anybody care that I'm doing a podcast? This is insane, but people do. And, and it's not, so I, I have to remind myself to do that. Maybe I will bring something for when I come to the show.
1: those those feelings are natural. I mean, yeah, just, it's so hard to self promote, but it's so necessary today. You you have to be your own sort of, uh, your best, your biggest cheerleader, your own manager. And it's cool that we can, what did, what did Kyle say last week? It's sort of democratized comedy. Like you can take control of your own career now. So you gotta have some strategy like Giammarco Cerezi, he put QR codes. We had him put them on all of our tables to follow and all that stuff. It's a great example. Uh, those types of things are helpful. I mean, it's
0: so powerful to get someone to follow your Instagram now, just like because if they see something, they might share it. And all of a sudden you're you're reaching so many more people. And and this is the crazy world we live in when those numbers can make or break or create sales, ticket sales, if enough, you know, if you grow that following it's it's crazy that the little number on our social media platforms can 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 mean so much we have to invest totally. in work in that
2: it's actually very smart to do that at shows too i need to probably start doing that i'm learning something from this podcast too you know ah. um, uh because then those people the specific people will come out next time you know then you've yeah. made a houston fan base so even if you you have 50 people at a show, 10 of them follow you. Then you have 10 more people for your next show. Then you have 60 people at your show. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and they'll tell and they'll tell their friends. That's the other, mm-hmm. you know, because we'll do a good job. You know, you're going to crush it. We'll have you back. And then when you come back, you know, they we'll, we'll remarket. We'll send them the email. They'll see you're coming and they'll be like, they'll bring new friends. And that's, that's how you grow in any given market, right?
2: It so. is kind of funny if I bomb after this podcast, though.
1: You won't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it is funny after all the advice. <laughs>
1: Uh we normally should
2: bombing and then cut clips of my standup advice at in between it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just the try it work
2: hard if you want to get the things you need. And it's like, cut. oh yeah, you guys aren't funny. Fuck you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the super <cut. laughs> That's
1: amazing. Uh, all right. So I would normally I was gonna play a clip of your stand up. I got it to load, but we're not gonna do it. I'm gonna spare you. You didn't want it, we're not gonna do it. We're gonna oh, pass it. Thank you. Yeah. I thought you'd like that, but, but we are still going to do last laugh. So it's our last segment. Super simple. Uh, let me go ahead and play a quick clip. Strange. Yeah. Uh, Uh, so here's how it works, Kim. It's the, this is, we talked about your mortality earlier today. It's weird. We're all going to die. All right. So uh, what is going to be on on your tombstone? Uh, the joke that people are going to remember you by? What's what's going to be your last laugh?
2: Okay, it'll say, "Here lies Kim. She ran the light at the end of the tunnel."
0: Ooh.
1: <laughs> that's that's good. That's good. We have not heard that before. Run the light. I at thought the, you would have uh, heard that man. already. No. Fifty-two episodes. That's the first time somebody's run the light. That's perfect. Okay, run the light. We'll, we'll make we'll make sure it happens for you. <laughs> 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 uh, uh what else? Oh how where where do people find you? Uh how can they how can they get a hold of you on the internet and such?
2: Yeah, for sure. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Kimberly Congdon, on Instagram at Kim Congden. I am playing video games on Twitch, doing giveaways. I'm actually giving away a pair of tickets uh to Skankfest on twitch.tv oh, nice. TV. queen Kong one c O N G one. Um uh, I stream whenever I can, not very regularly, but I will be doing fun giveaways. Uh check out my podcast, Broad Topics, T-O-P-I-X on the Gas Digital Network, Anywhere You Find Podcasts, and my other podcast, This Bitch, with Sarah Weinshank, also Anywhere You Find Podcast. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited to come out. Um I Houston, I can't wait to meet everyone. It's gonna be so fun. I fucking love Texas, I'm ready.
0: Yeah. So if you listen to this podcast quickly, she's coming this weekend. And if you're listening to it late, well, you're going to have to catch her the second time around or, or fly out to LA or check her website schedule or wherever you can find uh, your show dates. But yeah, we're so pumped to have you at the riot this weekend. It's going to be a blast. Dirty jokes, no bombing, crowd <laughs> roasting.
1: It's all going to be there. Hell yeah. All right. Well, th- thanks for coming on Kim. And thank you everybody for listening. This has been breakdown Bit. See you next time. Thanks
0: for having me. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.